0: Welcome, and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. This chapter, chapter 17, is probably the most Influential chapter in all of the scripture in my life. It has been incredibly significant for lots of reasons. One, it's kind of helped me define the purpose of my life, which we'll talk about. Uh, it's informed how I relate in my relationships, both family and also extended relationships. And also, uh, it's brought guidance to my prayer life. And so today, We are gonna talk about prayer. That's what we're talking about. In John 17, Jesus finishes that private session with his disciples with a whole chapter on prayer. Now here's what I know. Every one of you and me need this. We need to grow in our prayer life. Let me prove it to you, okay? I'm gonna ask you a question. Whenever you sit down to pray, how long does it take for you to be distracted, okay? Well, I thought about having you tell each other and I thought, no, that's probably not a good idea, but how long does it take? I feel like a little bit of the dog in the, the classic movie, Up, right? That's like, squirrel, squirrel, right? Every time, that, that's the way I feel like when, uh, when I am praying. We had some fun in the green room before the service and I said, I asked the guys and the gals, I just said, hey, where does your heart go, right? Anytime you sit down to pray, right? What, what are the things that your head goes to? And I want you to play along with you, like where does your mind go, your heart go when you're, when you're actually sitting down uh, to pray? And so some of you, some of us, probably your phone's sitting there and you get the classic ding or whatever sound comes through your phone and that's a distraction. Okay, how about to-do list stuff, right? You sit down to pray, and all of a sudden, for the first time, you're quiet in your house, right, all the list comes flying in. I won't throw this person under the bus, but one person said that they Googled the difference between a moonroof and a sunroof. Right, as they were sitting down to pray. So I don't know what it is for you. For me, some of you guys know my struggle's food. I start thinking about how long has it been since I've eaten? Okay, what do I get to eat next? Right, is it sugar, is it healthy? Let's make that decision. So all these things come running into uh, our brains and it's a little bit like this cartoon. There's another thing that kind of happens to us. It says, here's this, oh great, here comes Bob. I told him I'd pray for him. Dear God, help Bob, amen, right? Hey, Bob, been praying for you, right? So that's funny, but it's kind of true, right, in our lives. And so prayerlessness in our lives and in the Christian church today is something that we need to grow in. We need to grow our prayer muscles today. So I'm gonna ask you, we're gonna, just, we're gonna just talk basics and we're gonna learn the content of John 17 and it is phenomenal. But I hope you'll also take very seriously the idea that we need to grow in uh, our prayer life. And so prayerlessness leads to three really significant things and probably a lot more. It leads to a lack of intimacy with Jesus. And that's a really big deal right? It leads to transformation, a lack of transformation in our lives, and it leads to us becoming effective, okay, as ministers for the sake of the kingdom of God. And so let me just, look, there's probably, we're on a spectrum or a continuum in the room. There's probably people in here who who don't pray, right? And there are others who may have grown up in kind of high church traditions, okay, whether that's Catholic or whatever, that you pray certain prayers and you only pray at certain times, and that's your picture of prayer. Uh, Maybe you're just kind of sporadic and haphazard in kind of how you pray. When it hits me, I'm going to pray then, but there's a lack of discipline in that. And then I know there's some people in our body that have done incredible, are doing incredibly well in this area. Like they are disciplined in their prayer life, their focus in what the scriptures talks about, pray without ceasing and having this ongoing relationship with the Lord that's happening. So my, my hope today is that wherever you are, that you will allow God to transform you and your prayer life. And if you do that and I do that individually, and then that means our church is doing that, and then what Acts talk, Acts 2 talks about, about there being a sense of awe around the church. My hunch is as we grow in our prayer, okay, the sense of awe will also grow. And that has been something that we've asked God for around here. We want it to be amazing to come to church, to hear stories of life change and transformation. And those are happening but there's so much more that I would love for God to do through our church. And so here's what we're gonna talk about today. Here's the content of John 17. So one, uh, one through five of 17, Jesus prays for himself, basically, that he would glorify God. And six through 19, he prays for his inner circle. And this will be something that I think will really be helpful to you as we learn what he prays for his 11 disciples as we think about our inner circle and how we pray. And then he prays for the church and the world that's watching the church. So let's pray and ask God to transform us as the church of God at City Bridge. So Father, thank you for your word in John 17, how significant it is. Father, would you transform my life by what we teach and study today? Would you transform the life of my friends and my family by what we study? And I pray, God, that this would be a stake in the ground Sunday where our body grows our prayer muscles so that we would be men and women who pray so that we can know you intimately and have an impact on the world. We pray those things in your name. Amen. All right, so we're going to start in John chapter 17, verses 1 through 5, and here's what we've got. Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Here we are again. Jesus is in control of the timetable, right? Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. And let me just take a second, give you the meaning of glory. It means that we give God renown or honor honor is what we do. It's got, I found a word, just a heavy dignity is what he deserves, things of substance. So we're giving God things that uh, he deserves that are weighty and substantial. Goes on in verse two, even as you gave him authority over all flesh that to all whom he has given him, he may give eternal life. This is verse three, this is eternal life that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Folks, this is the answer to the question that every single person, I think, whether consciously or unconsciously, it's ever been born in the world is asking. What happens after I die? I think the world's asking that question in a very simple Place in John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, meaning know the Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And here's the thing that we need to know. It's just not, Jesus is talking about, that word know talks about an intimate relationship. It's not about know about Jesus, know about the Father. It's intimacy is what he's talking about there. And it's not just a duration thing, it's a quality of relationship that he's talking about here. Okay, we're gonna have, if you're a Christ follower, you are gonna have eternal life. That's what that says, but there's also that knowing is quality of relationship. He goes on in verse four, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. And I love this. Anytime I get a little glimpse of what Jesus is gonna be like in heaven, okay, I get, I get excited about the scripture because he's saying here, you know, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had before the world even was. So we, knew for, we know from Philippians 2, five through eight that Jesus emptied himself and came to this earth, the incarnation, we're about to celebrate it at Christmas, of some things, we don't know exactly what that is. And so right here, he's just saying, I can't, get, wait to, I can't wait to get back with you, okay? And be where I was before the foundation of the world. I was happy, thrilled, obedient to come and serve the world in my earthly body, but man, I can't wait to get back home is what he is saying. And so how do we glorify God? How do you glorify God? The first way is by knowing him more intimately. Okay, and that sounds really easy, but we have a lot of our friends that kinda go around with this knowledge thing. I know who God is, but I don't really know him. I know a lot of information, I could pass a test, but I don't really know him. So how do we do that? And it's really simple. It's not complicated. And that is the same way that you get to know, you got to know your spouse or your close friends or whoever that is. That's how you glorify God, by growing your relationship with Jesus. And so I don't know about some of your stories, Trish and I, when we fell in love, it was over the course of time, I I came along at a really bad time, right? She had just had a serious relationship and they had just broken up. I had no idea, I called her and she she just kind of said, yeah, she was thinking friends and I fell, boom. Like second date, I was like, this is my girl. And she was like, I hate boys, right? Is is where she was, and so that relationship, we spent time together, right? We talked on the phone. We were an hour apart, a lot of phone time. That's back when the phone was the thing, right? Uh, instead of texting, all that stuff. And then we also had struggles and fights and storms. We had a massive fight every January 1st for four years. We have no idea what that was, but we just had this major blow-up, but we fought through those things, and over time, we got to know each other, and we wrestled through things together. And so it's no different as we get to know God, right, that we spend time, we listen, we, as struggles come into our life, we talk about those things with Him, And so one of the things you've got to do, the action step here, is you've got to make yourself available, okay, to spend time with Jesus. And so there's a man named Ole Hallisby that wrote a classic work called Prayer, and his definition is just prayer is to let Jesus come into our hearts. That's what prayer is, and for some of us, we don't think about it that way. And he bases that phrase on Revelation 3, verse 20. He says, behold, Jesus. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. I will dine with him and he with me. And all throughout the scriptures, anytime you sit down to a meal, that has uh, the idea of intimacy to it. And Jesus is saying, man, I want to come in, but you've got to avail yourself to me. You've got to create space in your life. You've got to create margin in your life to develop intimacy with Jesus. And so I've got kind of a working definition that I use for prayer, which is the alignment of my heart and my head and my hands or actions, okay, with the plan of God. When I come to God, that's what I want to do. I want to get aligned okay, with the Father and what He is asking me to do. So the first way that you glorify God is by growing in your intimacy with Jesus, according to John 17, 1 through 5. The second way that you glorify God is by obeying Him. And so we're going to go back to John 14, just for just a second because i think it's really important i call this is the cycle of john 14 21 here's what the passage says it says he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my father and i will love him and will disclose myself to him and so i just drew a little chart up here a simple little chart that you're going to see Okay, and so this is kind of the John 14, 21 cycle. Okay, as you get to know God and love God, your heart is to obey him. And John 14, 21 says that when you obey me, I'm gonna reveal myself to you. And so we have got to get in this cycle because obedience, okay, brings about the revelation of Christ in our lives. If we want to glorify God, we've got to be obedient to him. And so the bottom line is that if you've got some of those things in your head and in your heart that God's asking you to do, and you're not doing them, you're restricting okay, intimacy with Jesus and you're restricting your ability to glorify God. So I'm gonna ask a really basic question, an application question that ought to be part of a regular part of when you're with the Savior. So where are, what are those things that God has asked you to stop doing? What are those things that he's asked you to adjust? And what are those things he's asked you to start doing? And my hunch is, you know what those are. That's my hunch. And either you have set them on the side and said, ah, that's no big deal, I'm good. Or you have maybe just, hey, la, 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 I just don't want to hear what you've got to say. But we need to answer that question. And so if we go back to Hallowsby's definition of prayer, we just want Jesus to come in and let's have that conversation. It is not unusual for me to think, okay, God, I know you're asking me to do this, but my response in prayer is, I don't want to. Sound familiar, parents? I don't want to, I don't wanna do this. This is gonna be hard or this is gonna be inconvenient. But our next conversation is, hey, God, I want to glorify you. So give me the power, give me the desire, give me what I need to be obedient in this area. And I don't know if it's hurts that you haven't given up, if it's habits that are restricting intimacy. I don't know if it's hurts you've had. Um, For me, most of, a lot of y'all know just food's a thing for me. And so God's asking me to be disciplined in how I eat and I hate it. But good things happen when I am. My life is blessed when that happens. What are the things that you need to start doing? Maybe how you think about your money. Maybe how you um, use your giftedness. Maybe, um, I know for me, being creative and lavish with my wife is one of the things that blesses Trish, and that's hard for me. I didn't have that modeled as a kid. And so I have to I have, to have a, the power of God to help me do those things. But what are, what are those things for you? And I'll just tell you, just in the last few weeks, um, we, we do a review, just like most of you get reviewed in your jobs with our staff. And then the last two or three weeks, Rob and I uh, did our review with the elders. And it's a little weird, Right, because we're elders and we're staff and how does that work and what do you do and all that kind of stuff. But we just said, we're all gonna get in a room, okay? And we're gonna review each other or we're gonna review Rob and Kyle got reviewed, okay? And so they were encouraging on some areas, but then there was this kind of pretty, everybody kind of stacked hands and said, hey, Kegs, we think you can be dismissive. That's the word, okay? Whenever we're talking about an area that you feel like you have expertise in, like you're just kind of like, oh yeah, yeah, I got it, I got it. What they didn't say, and I had to say for them, is you're telling me I'm prideful. (laughs) Yes, that was the answer. And so they just said, hey, you're dismissive. And so I pushed back a little bit and then I went home and I said, hey Trish, these guys are saying I'm dismissive and she said, well, remember in, uh, you know, we learned about uh, how you respond to conflict and re-engage the weenie, the withdrawal, um, the what we escalate, uh, the negative interpret, and then the last one's invalidate. She goes invalidate and dismissive are the same thing and I've seen it for decades. Yes, that's you. You need to grow in this area. And so I don't know what it is for you. Areas that you're not obedient in or attitudes that you have that need to be changed, but that is restricting your intimacy with Christ and your ability to glorify the Lord. So what do we pray? Out of John one through five, just real simply, what's gonna affect your prayer life, I hope, is that you would just begin to pray for yourself. It's okay to pray for yourself, right? That you would know Jesus more intimately, and you would grow in your obedience. Just pray those two things and your life is gonna begin to transform. And so that's as he prayed for himself. Let's go on and look at verses six through 10 as he starts to pray for his inner circle. He says, verse six, I've manifested your name to the men who you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you, for the words which you gave me I have given to them, and they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all the things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. So let me just summarize what's happening right here. Jesus and the Father are having a conversation and it is, in spite of all the infighting, in spite of all the frustrations that happened the last three years among the disciples, Jesus is saying, our boys did good. They got it. The ones that you gave me, they have got, and that is so comforting for me When I look at the disciples and I look how many times they fought about who's the greatest and Simon wanted to attack Rome and all the stuff that was going on among the disciples and yet Jesus three years later is saying in all the midst of their craziness, Peter hadn't even denied him yet and he's still saying these guys that you gave me, they got it. I'm encouraged by that when Jesus says that. They are convinced of who I am and everything that I told them. I'm glorified. My life is on display in them is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is celebrating the disciples with the Father. Another thing we can learn in our prayer life, man, let's celebrate with God the things, the people in your life that are going the right direction. All right, we'll pick it up in verse 11. I'm no longer in the world, and yet they themselves, the disciples, are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Verse 13, but now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have joy made full in themselves. They might be joyful. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And if you weren't here for John 16 last week, and you want to know what Jesus is talking about there, go listen to Derek's message like last week. It was great about what it means that the world hates you. Verse 15, I do not ask for you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you send me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself that they themselves may also be sanctified in truth. So we're just gonna go straight to application, okay? Because when we do that, it teaches us the content of what's happening here. I'm about to give you six things, okay, that you ought to pray for your inner circle that we just read right there in John 17. And so the first one pray is pray that God would keep them, and I'm just gonna say it like this, loyal to the faith. That your inner circle would stay loyal to the faith. Trisha and I have the incredible privilege that all three of our daughters are walking deeply with Jesus today. Okay, one's married, okay, she made a great choice. For a husband, okay? They are, they are doing great. But one of my girls might fall for some guy, okay, that's marginal in his faith. And that would be a problem. And so I need to be praying, hey, Lord, keep my other two daughters loyal to you that they would not compromise even in an area that they have a great desire for, that they would be loyal in the faith. To pray that they would be one with each other your inner circle would be united in oneness third be full that they would be full of joy in the journey we know from John 16:33 in this world you're going to have troubles take heart jesus said i have overcome the world but jesus is saying here my joy jesus's joy in them is what i want so even in the midst of all of the crazy of our culture I want my inner circle to be one with each other. And Jesus is praying this knowing his disciples have a tough time being one, right? I've said this before, but there's a great book by a guy named Orberg that's everybody's normal till you get to know them, right? We're quirky and strange and we're impacted by our past. But Jesus is praying, hey, oneness for your inner circle right there. That they would be full of joy in the journey as well. Another one, protect them from the evil one. We know that the enemy, and it's real, is out to kill, steal, and destroy us as followers of Christ. And then he says... He prays that they would be set apart from the world or sanctified from the world. Sanctified just means to be set apart. And so we need to pray that that inner circle would be set apart from the world, that their lives would look different because of Jesus. And he basically tells us how to do that is that we need to understand what's true. And here it says, his word is truth. In John 14, it says his spirit is, is truth, or His Son is truth. First John, His Spirit is truth. And so, God is truth, and as we learn and we know Him and we become intimate with Him, it sanctifies us. It sets us apart. And then the last one, number six, is that they would be sent into the world. And so how do we balance, especially those last three, right? We're praying that God would protect them from the enemy, that they would be set apart from the world, and then that they would be sent. How does that, how does that all work together? Because throughout all of Christian history, church history, Christians have sought relief from the world by doing really three different things. They've withdrawn, okay, hey, I need to get out of danger. secondly, they've compromised, okay, I need to blend into the culture so that I don't take the heat, okay, that's coming my way. And the third is to attack. And that's become something that's really prevalent in our culture right now. We're going to attack the world. And we we create this we versus them mentality, okay, that just hides the love of God. And there is no question, we have to stand on what is true. And that by its very nature at times will create division, but not by throwing moral hand grenades at the other side. And so Jesus has a response for us in 1 Timothy 2, 24 and 25. How how do we do that? It says, 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach. Patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. So Jesus doesn't give us the give us the option to withdraw, or to blend in, or to fight. He says you are ambassadors. I've got you embedded in a world that's not yours, where you feel comfortable for the very sake of loving people so that the world would see it in a way that draws them to the love of Christ. Your ambassadors, what ambassadors do, they live in foreign countries and they represent the king of the country that sent them to be an ambassador. And so, can I just encourage you as we kind of move through this? This is— This is how Jesus prays for you, right? We're gonna look at a couple of passages in a minute that just talks about Jesus intercedes on our behalf. And I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say, as Jesus is interceding, this is what he's praying for you. And notice that none of those prayers are situational, right? They are foundational prayers so that you would grow. And so I want to make a pitch. Can I make a pitch to you guys? I want to be in your inner circle when you pray. I I I would love to be in your inner circle. I would love the leaders at this church to be in your inner circle. Because I want you to pray those six things for me. And let me just tell you how valuable that is. Because I am convinced that apart from the prayers of the people that love me and care about me, I would have disqualified my life in ministry years ago. I would have lost my family. I would have lost my ministry. I would have lost everything good in my life apart from the prayers of God's people. And I just want to tell you, praying these things for me and the leaders here at City Bridge is making a difference. They're effective. So as you pray for your inner circle, and you don't have to include me, but I would love for you to include me, right? As you're praying for what's happening around this place. So those six things are not the only way to pray, okay? But it is a model of prayer for how we should pray for our inner circle. All right, and we're gonna finish with 20 through 25 here. So. Jesus says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but but for those also who believe in me through their word. So basically, Jesus is saying, hey, I'm praying for us. This is all the big, the church, the one church, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. That theme is common. Oneness allows the world to look and say, I want some of that. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, you and me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them. Even as you have loved me. Verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me. For you love me before the foundation of the world. There he is again. He's just kind of saying, I can't wait for the disciples to see me in heaven. In all my glory, when I'm king of kings and Lord of lords and every knee will bow and every tongue confess. He said, I want these 11 guys to see that. Because they've seen me on earth as Emmanuel, but they haven't seen the glory of who I'm going to be when I'm in heaven. Verse 25 to finish up. O righteous father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you. And these have known that you sent me, and I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. Let me just summarize this. Jesus is just saying, I pray that you and the Father are one. I pray that you and your inner circle are one. I pray that you and your church family and other believers and extended family are one. And that all the orthodox churches that believe what Jesus wants to believe are one. And it says two times in that passage that the world is gonna look at that and say, that's supernatural. And I want the way they love each other, the way they care for each other, that is attractive to me and I want to be a part of that." And he finishes in that last line with what I think is uh, the greatest apologetic, right? You can know a lot of information, you can answer a lot of questions, but love's the greatest apologetic. How we love people is what gets people to ask us, tell me what's different about your life in your community. So what do we pray out of John 17, 20 through 25? We pray one, That the church of Jesus Christ would be one. And that the world would see the oneness of the church and believe. And we need to become men and women of prayer. And we need to become a church that prays effectively. I ran across this quote from Piper says, one of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from a lack of time. How about that? Another one of the things that's kind of like, mm, yep. This is an area, church, where we need to grow our muscles. And so a couple of applications. So if you want to grow in prayer... Okay, the first thing you need to do is you need to start reading the psalms. One psalm a day or whatever you can do in a week because it will teach you to pray. It's 150 prayers. It's how the people of God in the Old Testament, it's how they prayed. That's how you learn to pray. There's some other incredible prayers in all of Scripture that you ought to read and study. First Kings chapter 3 is Solomon's prayer for double wisdom to lead the people of God. It's an amazing prayer. He later tossed it, right? But it's an amazing prayer. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is the, does the Lord's prayer for us. Ephesians 1 and 3 is in there. There's just Colossians 1, Philippians 1, or just do what we just did. The prayer guide of John 17. Right? You can take a picture of that. We'll put it on But it just says, this is how you should pray John 17. And I don't remember long sentences, so I just try to remember one word out of all that kind of stuff. It's just a way you can pray. We're trying to say, hey, at a very basic level, here's one of the things that we need to grow in. And so let's go back to who's in the room. Okay, we know that there are people that are here that aren't, praying that just don't pray, I would just tell you, just start, just start talking to God. If that's five minutes a day, if that's 10 minutes a day, what you'll find is like, hey, this, this is kind of cool. Okay. And you'll want to do more. And it's a discipline at times for sure, but just start, turn your radio off in the car and pray. Look, I like sports radio as much as the next guy, but it's three minutes of content and three minutes of commercials, right? I turn the radio off and for three minutes, I'll pray and turn it back on and not miss anything. Just turn your radio off, right? And spend that time learning to pray. We've got to grow these muscles. If you were somebody who prayed formulaically or at certain times, put an alarm on your phone, set it to vibrate and put it in your pocket. And every time it goes off, it just reminds you, oh yeah, I need to pray. We set an alarm for 121 for months before we launched City Bridge. And every day my phone would vibrate and didn't matter where I was, I was like, let's pray for what's gonna happen at this place. And God has honored those prayers. If you're sporadic uh, in your prayer life, maybe a chart, something like this would be helpful. For you, see on the left side, pray for myself, family, church, when it was Watermark Plano, pastoral care situations, if your name's up there, sorry. Um, uh, Just all kinds of things. And for each day of the week, during seasons, that's what I've used, okay? But let me tell you the greatest thing anybody has ever done for me in terms of prayer. And if you could do this for some people, it would be amazing got a friend named Michael Santiago that used to go to church at this place, and every week he'd text me, Kegs, what can I be praying for you? And I'd tell, give him a couple of things, and he reminded me periodically that he was praying, and then at the end of the year, i get this right here. Had no idea what he was doing, but he wrote down the prayer, the date, what he was praying, a passage of Scripture that he was praying, that, and then look on the other side, done! God answered that prayer on this date. God answered that prayer. You want to know where this stays? Right on my desk. You know why? Because it gives me confidence that God answers my prayers. And so I don't know what works for you, okay? But we need to make things work, or we need to allow God to make things work through us. And let me close with this. Hebrews 7.25 says, therefore, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Romans 8.34 says, Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. And I spent a lot of time trying to figure out exactly what that looked like. Jesus interceding for us, what is that? What does that look like? I read and studied and I still don't have a great picture of exactly what that is. Here's what I know. I know that Jesus right now is interceding on the behalf of every believer in this room. Does that not blow your mind? I'm hungry, I gotta go find out what that means and what that looks like. I wanna know what that is. But that's so encouraging for me. And I don't have any data to prove this, but I wouldn't be surprised if Jesus isn't praying what we just studied in John 17 for us. And again, I I don't know exactly what that looks like. If somebody does, I'm all ears. I'd love to know more about what that is like. And so church, we, we need to grow our prayer muscles. It's so important. Jesus spent his last chapter that he gave us talking to the disciples in the book of John, focused only on prayer, the whole thing is a prayer. So let's close our time in prayer. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, Check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at CityBridgeCC. See you next time.